welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Oh, my allergies are killing me today. Yeah, it's uh it's been a it, this is going to be a rough a rough listen for the for the uh listener because uh Oh no, we'll hold it together. Well, absolutely. There's no question about that. But um but yeah, sorry by the way uh that we did not put up an official episode uh last week. But thanks to to Paul. Uh yeah, that worked out very well mm-hmm. that we had not aired uh that we had not aired his supplement yet. So That's Paul just, Goble, the Paul Goble show. Absolutely. Go and listen to it. Everybody go and listen to the Paul Goble show. Um, there might be some download problems, but it's worth seeking <laughs> out uh, even so because uh, it's a very funny show. Um, Paul's going to be very happy with that endorsement. <laughs> hey, it's frustrating. There have been and, – and actually, speaking of which, uh, there have been some download issues with our show. Um, not very many. It certainly doesn't seem to be as much as with Paul's show, but a couple people have said that it's been difficult, and actually somebody – uh, that I work with has said that uh, she can't download it, and I can't figure out why. Uh, hmm. You know, it certainly seems to be only a few people. Um, it doesn't seem to be a problem with our feed. It maybe ju- I think it's just a problem with iTunes, and uh, and I'm not sure. You know who to talk to. Um, I'm happy so, with that explanation. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's I, just say that it's iTunes. Well, I mean, just because you know, I, because I can't figure. I mean, I download it fine. You know, and as do a lot of the people that I know, we've really only gotten a few complaints and uh, and I'm really I hate to say it. I'm not really sure uh, what to suggest. I mean, you can listen to it uh, streaming, uh, you know, but aside from that, I'm not really sure what to do. We would rather that you uh, downloaded or subscribe. We prefer that you subscribe. But if that if you can't listen to the show that way, um, then, you know, listen to it however you can. And we apologize. uh I hope it gets fixed sometime in the future. Yeah. Um, but so uh, you were saying, sorry about the. Uh, oh yeah, I uh, I had bronchitis with just a hunt, uh, just 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 like a just a hint, like a sprinkling or a, or a hunt or a hunt, just a, <laughs> like a Linda hunt, very small, um, you know, uh, just a sprinkling of pneumonia. Did you like my Linda hunt joke? <laughs> that was great. I'm very pleased with myself. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I was uh, very sick and was unable to. Uh, to talk uh, last week, and so I'm going to be coughing periodically uh, through this episode because I'm still getting over it, and uh, David's going to be sniffling because he's got allergies, and probably through the next episode too because we're doing <laughs> we're going to do two today to make up for that's right because we are uh, insane and anal yeah. and we have to make sure that the number of episodes we've done is the same as number of weeks we've been doing them. That's right, and. Uh, <laughs> And I know that people know that because people uh, on the uh, on the old Battleship Pretension message board uh, chose to give us some crap about uh, about putting Paul's episode up. And where's a regular episode? I thought you guys were really anal about the week. Blah, blah, blah. That's why we're doing too. Exactly. People get sick. Yeah. People get sick with bronchitis and pneumonia. People die of pneumonia, by the way. Just a little. Just, you just had a little a little Linda Hunt. I just had it. You, oh, like you had like a Shetland pneumonia. <laughs> I just had a bonsai plant of <laughs> pneumonia, um, but uh, anyway, so uh, so we apologize that uh, that we didn't have an actual uh, episode last week. And as David said, yes, thank you uh, to Paul for being uh, on on the show. It was uh, a lot of fun. Oh, speaking of people being on other shows, yeah, uh, you and I, Tyler, are going to be on the uh, Slash Filmcast. That's right. Yes, yes. Uh, sometime in, in the let's see. I guess that would be. Monday the um, 
something. <laughs> Hold on. What's the date today? The 18th? The 18th. Monday the 27th, then? That sounds, of April? That sounds right. Whatever Monday in <coughs> April is right around the 27th. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be on the Slash Filmcast, and that's... Uh, you can listen live. Yeah. At, I, I wrote it down. Okay. Uh, slashfilm.com slash live. I think okay. the, the first slash is spelled out. Am I oh right? My. Uh, I believe so, yes. And then the second slash is a slash. Yes. It's very confusing. It is very confusing. But uh, I don't know how you're going to listen to this show. But, they're more uh, successful than we are, so I sure guess are. it's not that big a problem. Yeah. Just look, <laughs> uh, just look in the iTunes top 100 of audio uh, TV Film video TV. podcasts. Look in the top 20. You'll find them. Sons of... Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it's going to be fun. We're going to talk about State of Play. State of Play, that's right. Um, which is a movie. Uh, that I haven't seen yet, so That's I have to correct. see Correct, yes. <laughs> Dave and I will be seeing this movie, I assure you. Are we, do we have to see it together? I don't think so. When was the last time you and I saw a movie together? Oh, my. Was it super bad? Oh, no. We've seen movies since then. Um, Into the Wild? Uh, perhaps, yes. Red Belt, maybe? Red Belt, yeah. Well, That's, we saw Wrist Cutters. We did see Wrist Cutters. That's that was, right. That was shite. I didn't care for that movie. And I like Tom Waits. Although it did turn me on to uh, Gogol Bordello, which I yeah, uh, a band really I enjoy good. a lot. But uh, but anyway, so so yeah, we're gonna be so that's uh, yeah slashfilm dot com slash live. You can listen live uh, Monday the twenty seventh right. that night at uh, around right around six forty five or seven Pacific time. Yeah. Um, and then if you wanted to subscribe to their show, it's at slashfilmcast dot com. Right. So, so. Uh, very excited. Uh, I'm excited to be on the show. Now, uh, David. What you said you wanted to, you had something to talk about at the top of the show. What do you got? Well, speaking of, you know, you mentioned the uh, that uh, in in iTunes we're grouped under uh, TV and film podcasts. Yeah, I know that's a point of contention for you. It sure is. I I feel like I've been living a lie recently. I'm doing this movie podcast. I spend way much more time watching TV than I do seeing well, movies these days or well, watching it requires movies at more home. Time, David. What I'm saying is that, and maybe it's just a fa- phase, I can be both things. Okay. I can be a movie geek or movie nerd or whatever. Yeah. But right now, more of my energy is committed to, te- to television. Um, I would say that's that's probably the same uh, for me. Um, but, uh, you know, this hasn't been a great season for movies. I mean, there are movies yeah. coming out uh, in the, probably in the, next, uh, in the next month or two that I'm very excited to yeah. see. Um, among them Wolverine and Star Trek, and then uh, those are two movies I am not excited to see. You know, uh, Star Trek. I I I enjoy the Star Trek movies. I haven't seen the last few, but um, but I enjoy the Star Trek movies, and I like J.J. Abrams. I think he's a a, a very talented uh, pitch re- man. Perhaps that's. I think that's where J.J. Abrams most of his strengths lie in sort of selling a concept. I like and then Impossible Three though. He, yeah, it was. Yeah, that's good. Like, but I mean, Cloverfield is a perfect example. <coughs> yeah, he made something look really cool, and then, I mean, obviously he passed it off to uh, I forget the name of the guy who directed it. Right. But it's like with Lost, it's like he came up or helped come up with and, and develop this really great idea. But then once it comes to actually making it a good show, it's all it's mostly Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse and uh, and Brian Burke and yeah. Jeffrey Lieber and Jeff everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> um. And that's not even ta- you know mentioning the cast you know Terry O'Quinn and uh, I'm not going to say yeah. anybody. Else. Josh Holloway's a father. The guy who plays Sawyer. Woo! Had a, had a, his his wife uh, had a kid the other day. Oh, good for him. 
Um, <laughs> but the, uh, but I think I think Star Trek actually I think it could be good, um, and, and I think uh, Wolverine has the potential to be good. Uh, it's got a great cast and it has a, a reasonably talented director. Well, have you heard about the like the cut that was leaked? No, is it bad? It's, it's supposed to be terrible. From that is here. unfortunate because. You got freaking Hugh Jackman. I I've always liked him as Wolverine. I thought he did a really good job. But like, you got Liev Schreiber as Sabretooth, yeah. and that's creative casting. And then you've got, and then it's like, oh well, the character of William Stryker's back, and they did, couldn't get Brian Cox. Oh, they got Danny Houston. Well, all right. Yeah. Um. So like, I'm excited about some of the some of those decisions, and I feel like anybody who would cast Liev Schreiber as Sabretooth is somebody that I can trust. Yeah. To make a film. Um, or a film that I would like at least. I can um, see that. But at the same time, I guess uh, I I had heard about the leaked thing, and I had heard people kind of responding to it. But uh, I'll wait until the official reviews come out because who knows? People, the people who don't like it could wind up just being like a bunch of, for lack of a better term, like geeks and like <laughs> people who don't really care about if a movie is good so much as like, oh well, is it. This is crap because it's not faithful to the real origin story. Well, I don't really care. I lo- I grew up reading X Men, and I don't yeah. really care as long as it's a good movie. Um, so that aside, that aside, TV, David. Yeah, I just uh, like my DVR is way much more of, of a focus for my life than my mm. Netflix right now. Just like hmm. uh, I, because it's not even the fact that there's no <coughs> new movies coming out that are or not no, but fewer new yeah. movies that are good. It's it's that time that I normally would have spent watching old movies. I now spend watching, like picking a show and then and then uh, getting into it. And I think it's just a it's just a phase. I'm I'm just uh, really getting into the sort of the long form storytelling more and more. You know, it's a standard. I mean, it's a standard thing to say, but it's just a great. It's just such a wonderful time for TV right now. I mean, uh, Jen and I we will often. I mean, I've got you know several shelves worth of movies, as you as you can see, David. Uh-huh. But often, when Jen and I like want to sit down and watch something together, we'll we'll usually watch a show online, or like I just recently got um, the seri- the entire series of Deadwood, and mm-hmm. we watched that. And so it's like, okay, Deadwood's over. Now, what show are we going to watch? Like yeah. you know, and we wound up actually watching several movies, all of them John Grisham. Um, I don't know why. Uh, I've been sick. That sounds unpleasant. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. I what good to talk John Grisham movies are there? Firm's not bad. I never saw it. And uh, Rainmaker has its moments. Uh, John Voight's not one of them. But um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I actually I wanted to talk to you uh, about that, uh, and I can talk. We can mention it on the air. Okay. Which is uh, I wanted in watching it. I had an idea. I'm not sure if it would be like. A profile episode but like basically we would pick an author um whose work has been adapted a lot right and then discuss those movies like we could talk about elmore leonard stephen king stephen king agatha christie um michael crichton michael crichton yes um because that means we can watch uh timeline and see uh, your favorite, your apparently favorite bit of footage ever, which is Paul Walker being like, "No, let's go! Come on, let's go! Come on!" Uh, people who haven't seen Timeline, there's very little. There, there's very few reasons to watch it, but the one main reason to watch it is a great reason, <coughs> which is just this little weird, like 
tantrum type thing that yeah, Paul Walker yeah. throws, and it's just like it's just his shot, like for a second, and then it cuts away from him. But he's like, "Come on, we gotta go." Yeah, <laughs> it's really it's more. I mean, you need to see the visual of him just transforming into like a six year old child. But anyway, so I felt like that would be like a, a fun episode to do every once in a while is pick an author whose work just seems to be inherently cinematic and, you know, watch those movies. And so uh, Jen and I watched The Firm, which I bought for five bucks at a Best Buy once. And uh, I felt, and I was kind of sick and I wanted something that wasn't very challenging. So we decided to go with every other uh, John John Grisham. Did you watch The Client? Watch The Client, yeah. How's that? I, I, I liked it when I was, you know... 10 or 11 whenever it came out it's pretty good actually right up until it stops being good oh there's a moment when it's like oh these characters wouldn't be doing this that's ridiculous i understand why you need them to do that a time to kill is that john grisham i'm skipping that one okay i saw it 10 years ago Uh, i'm fine i didn't like it 10 years ago yeah right like i i saw more than that i saw it when it was a new release on dvd i'm sorry i'm on vhs at the time and my brother and i rented it and watched it and I must have been, let's see, that was 96, I believe. So, you know, I was 14. And even at 14, I was like, this is, I don't think I used the word overwrought, but that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, because just that last, that last speech of Matthew McConaughey is where it's, imagine all this, now imagine this girl is white. And it's like, ah, all right. And then it's, sh- because what it happens is he, you know, he's talking about all these horrible things done to this girl. Uh-huh. And then he says... And he asked the jurors to, like, close their eyes first you uh-huh. know, so they can imagine it. And then he says, now imagine this girl is white. And then it cuts to the these horrified looks on the jurors' faces. <laughs> like, the one thing they <gasps> needed was somebody, like, literally throwing up at that point. You're like, oh, my gosh, a white girl. You know, it's but just isn't so... The, again, I haven't seen it forever. Isn't, like, the point of them... Is, is he's trying to justify that <coughs> Samuel Jackson murdered some people. Yes. Right? Yeah. And like, yes, he did it for revenge, and you can you can sympathize. You can still be a perfectly good human human being and sympathize with that. Yeah, he still murdered people. Yeah, well, I don't understand. What? Well, it's because the idea it's like, oh, well, if this if he were a white guy, then it would be viewed as justifiable, and so no. Well, no, of no, course not. It would not. Not at all. <laughs> but that's what he's trying to. He's you know the character. It's it's a movie that's very much about race. But it's more about race because Matthew McConaughey's character makes it about race. Like, <laughs> especially, like he's really playing on that. Uh, anyway, it's not a good movie. But, uh, but yeah, so I've just been uh, steeped in, in uh, movies where in it, every single one, uh, there's a, a bug uh, in the office or the apartment. Everyone's always listening. I didn't know bugs were so easy to get. I mean, it's it's crazy. But uh, anyway, so I'm anyway, sorry. let's 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 move on. Yeah, I didn't mean to der- derail your your TV discussion because. But wait, anyway, that's it's it's over. Let's <coughs> let's get into it, shall we? This is part two of a series. That's right. That we started two weeks ago. Yeah. With a great movie, uh, Beginnings. Yeah. Now this now of course a time, speaking of a time to kill. Yeah. It has that 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 very memorable moment where he says. You know, uh, yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. Yes. Um, so that, that's a memorable movie moment, wouldn't you say? Uh, yes, yes. It's a memorable movie scene or moment. You know, Not necessarily you, a good one. Though. Right. It is memorable. That, that goes without saying. Um, 
You know, when you when you like get down to business, uh-huh. you sound a little silly. Uh, because I do. that's a memorable movie moment, you could say, <laughs> Tyler. Let me read my cue card here. But that's just that I, cue card's in your head. That's I, the thing. I'm glad it took more than two years for you to finally bust my balls about something on the podcast because I've been doing it to you nonstop. That's true. <laughs> you know what? Uh, yeah, you're kind of a jerk sometimes. <laughs> that's it. This podcast is over. So, all right. So, yeah, we're talking about, you know, because as I, as, as I said a couple weeks ago, we can't, you know, we're talking about beginnings, middles, and ends. But we can't talk about a great movie middle. Um, I guess you could, theoretically, <laughs> and just be like, yes, this hour and 15 minutes right here is uh, great. Yeah. The 15 um, minutes before and the 15 after are not very good, but this, this section is really solid. Um, so, yeah, instead we're talking about some really great movie moments. And, uh, yeah, mo- moments and scenes. I think. Yes, yes. A lot, of, a lot of mine are sort of scene based. Uh, I would sequence. say, yeah, mine as well. So, um, but I, I can tell you right off the bat, one of them, <laughs> one of my all-time favorites, is just a moment. Okay, and it's the, uh, the part in uh, *Discrete Charm of the Bourgeoisie*. Oh yeah, where uh, the the running joke in that movie um, is that these rich people keep trying to get together and having dinner, and things keep getting in their way. Yeah, and at one point they're the food is on the table. They're ready to eat, and then uh, these like terrorists come in with guns. Yeah, and they're hiding under the table. But one of them, <laughs> like while they're hiding for their lives, with these guys running out with guns, one of them is reaching his hand up above the table and trying to grab like a piece of fish. Yeah, and it's it's my favorite moment in the movie uh, because it. I mean, it's I like that uh, that uh, that Boonwell in I mean, *Discreet Charm of the Bourgeoisie* has a lot to say about about uh, you know class. And you know culture clashes and uh, and all, all these sort of things, but it's got this just silly moment in the <laughs> middle of it. He he still realizes that he's making, uh, or you still realize that he's making a film and not just a statement. Well, and and even, but even that moment could fold into the larger theme because just the idea that like these characters are in danger, but they don't really think they're in danger. Like uh-huh. just. Stuff doesn't really touch them. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll be under the table because this this is some crazy stuff. I'll be fine if I get what I if I if I still <laughs> get what I want. Yeah, or I still try and get what I want. It'll be fine. Like, I'm under the table mostly as a matter of form, really. Um, so yeah, I, I I I put that out there to sort of kick off the discussion because okay. that's that's really just a moment that I love. I I mostly have uh, scenes here. Um, and, uh, you know, l- I was looking at my, my movie shelf. That's usually what I wind up doing when I'm making <laughs> these lists, which is why you'll probably notice the same movies coming up over and over. <laughs> um, but uh, for me, the, the, the very first uh, scene that came to mind was, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, racism and, you know, the idea of class warfare and all that, there's a scene in uh, 12 Angry Men where... Uh, Juror number 10, I believe, um, played by Ed Bagley. He uh, is... He, you've gotten little hints of of bigotry throughout the whole film. And then, and then things aren't really going his way. And he finally just goes off on this horrible rant. Mm-hmm. And he keeps talking about these people. And you're not quite sure... Who's referring to? It could be poor people because mm-hmm. he's rich, or richer anyway. Um, it could be 
ethnics because the the kid uh, in the you know the kid on trial they show him and he could be honestly any number of things he could yeah. be Hispanic he could be Italian he could be Jewish like there there's a number of things that he could be and that's by design uh, yeah absolutely yeah. <clears throat> um, and so so you don't really know quite what he's saying you know who he's talking about but you just know that like it's not about this kid. It was never about this kid. It was never about this case. It was always about something else. And slowly but surely, as he's ranting, you know, it's it's kind of a melodramatic moment, but they ma- they manage to sell it. Everybody just gets up and walks away. They mm-hmm. turn their back on him, basically showing that they're not listening. There are a couple people who stay at the table. Um, they are people who have been voting with him, incidentally. Mm-hmm. Um, but even one of them, who is one of the last three one of the last two, in fact, to uh, continue with the guilty verdict. Verdict. He's uh, a very logical, intelligent, unemotional guy. Uh-huh. And he's the one who finally... Sa- uh, the, the, the bigot, number 10, he, he's, you know, he sees what's happening, and then he, he finally realizes that the one person that's still looking at him is, is juror number four. <laughs> and, uh, sorry, E.G. Marshall, if that means anything. <laughs> Um, and he says, listen to me, you know, like this is the only person who's listening. So I'll talk to him. And E.G. Marshall just says, I have now sit down and don't open your mouth again. And it's like, Oh, the unemotional guy who's actually <laughs> voting with this man uh-huh. is the one telling him to shut up. Everybody else, nobody else is listening. The one guy that is listening doesn't want to anymore and actually says it. And it's just, it, to me, it's just such a wonderful moment there. That movie is filled with great moments, but that one really yeah. gives me chills. And I want to, to clarify further. Um, now that's a, I mean that's a great line, but we're not talking about great lines. That's also a great right. moment. Right, everything leading up to it. I mean, yeah, his exactly. monologue, them walking away, and then it ending with that line delivered by that character. Everything about that is what makes it a great moment, not just that topper. Yeah, because I can. I, I'm going to talk about another one that uh, that has. Um, well, okay. I mean, here's a, here's a great example of what I'm talking about. One of my favorite. Like scenes or moments is the you know uh, pretty much everything in <coughs> Apocalypse Now with Robert Duvall. Oh yeah, but I'm not talking about the great. I mean, there's so many great lines. You know, Charlie don't serve, love the smell of napalm. But yeah. uh, it's what it, uh, it, it's the entire moment or the entire scene of right uh, uh, his the way that the uh, the filmmaking matches Kilgore in oh, yeah. e- in energy. Yeah. You know, is uh, th- that's. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out to 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 to, uh, to make the distinction between great lines and great moments. Absolutely. I mean, it really. Yeah, I wrote I wrote uh, Apocalypse Now down as well um, because. And you're right. The the filmmaking actually does match because when you think about it, I mean, there are very few people. There are very few actors who the very their very presence is kind of not over the top, but like Marlon Brando brings a lot to it, uh-huh. but that's not the nature of his character. Yeah. His character is very withdrawn, very inside himself. And that's how the film approaches him. Very shadowy, very mysterious. They don't play him as larger than life. Kilgore, on the other hand, everything about him is, is epic, which is why with the minute, I mean, you know, he shows up with, uh, you know, uh, Flight of the is it Ride of the Valkyries or Flight? I, f- I don't remember. I think it's Ride. Ride of the Valkyries. I'm not a yeah classical right. I'm thinking Flight I, of the Concords because <laughs> I'm an idiot. Um, but like you know, you just see all these choppers coming in, this boisterous music, 
and it's him. It's just, it's a physical expression of everything that he is. Uh-huh. And he doesn't even have to open his mouth. You just realize, like, wow, this film really changed once he showed up. Yeah, because the, the film is kind of uh, meandering for most of it. Oh, yeah. It, and I say kind of, but if you've seen the uh, the the longer version, yeah. it's really meandering. But yeah. in a good way. I like. I, I really like the uh, director's cut. Yeah. I'm not going to try and say that word. Redux. Yeah. It, I'm pre- I'm preferring to say it exactly that way. It's, it's a dumb word. Yeah. All right, then. It's... Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, that is silence the podcast that's a dumb word I don't like it um, what are some other dumb words I don't like the word rural I hate it with oh, yeah, every fiber it's difficult of my to being. say yeah but redux is just a dumb word and I came from my finger on why I think there's a lot of things uh, like I don't like renege either oh okay I, 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 it seems like putting re in front of a word it's just lazy come up with a new word they should have just like the one thing they they just should have been the apocalypse now redo, yeah, or do over or something <laughs> like that. Um, okay, well I'm going to bring up a, a a scene that as I was as I'm looking through oh, my I had, oh I forgot ahead. I was going somewhere. Okay, go ahead because yes. I had another big one. It was a better example. Okay, uh, <coughs> um, god damn it. <laughs> Sorry. That's all right. Um, my head is not in the right place. Um, no, one of my favorite scenes in the. Uh, in the history of every movie I've seen, okay, is uh, a scene in Abel Ferrara's The Funeral, and you know exactly what scene I'm oh, talking about. Yeah, when uh, uh, essentially what's happened, if you haven't seen The Funeral, is that there's this sort of mob family, and uh, one of the the brothers, played by Vincent Gallo, has been killed, and it's the day of his funeral. So, but while there's all the family funeral stuff going on, there's also like Christopher Walken and Chris Penn. Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to find out who killed their brother and trying to get revenge for it. Yeah. And uh, a series of events had, has led them to believe that a character played by Benicio Del Toro yeah. uh, is the killer. And there's the scene where Christopher Walken has... Uh, <laughs> Why are you laughing? Well, I just remember the scene. I, I remember the scene is incredibly dramatic, but one there's one nice little <laughs> moment of humor. Well, okay. I'll, I'll set it up, and then you can tell me the moment okay. of humor. Uh, he's... He's got Benicio del Toro tied to the chair, and he's walking around and sort of they're having this discussion, this very loaded confrontation, interrogation, yeah. you know, where the, neither one is backing down, even though Benicio's tied to a chair. Uh, it's it's still a meeting of equals. Oh yeah. Uh, but Christopher Walken has the upper hand, both because he's not tied to a chair and because he's carrying a fucking axe. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> the, when he gets the axe, like yeah. he steps off off screen, I believe. Without the axe, <laughs> right? And then he shows up with the axe. Like, you know, he's gonna, co- he's probably gonna come back with something, but probably like a gun or something. But he comes back with the most horrifying-looking weapon, and just <laughs> the fact that he comes—it's—it's—it's it's, it's played so matter-of-fact that I'm not sure if it's supposed to be funny, but it's funny <laughs> to me. So, but but that said, yes, of an incredibly t- intense scene, probably some of the best acting I've ever seen Benicio del Toro do, and, and that's saying something. And there's a great line that uh, on its own is not a great line it's delivered really right because uh, Benicio Del Toro is sticking by his guns and saying he did not kill the yeah. brother he's not giving in at all you know and there's this part towards the end of the scene where he says what would you have me do lie yeah and it's it's just chilling it's yeah it, it's it's like this is a cool fucking customer and he's going to and there's something behind what he's saying like the, he's not even if Christopher Walken told him I will let you 
out of this chair and never hit you with this axe. <laughs> if you tell He's me, not saying that, by the way, <laughs> right? But if you, you know, I, I, I will go easy on you if you tell me that you did this, right? No, no matter how dire it gets, Benicio del Toro's character is never going to, to lie. Did he, we mention the funeral uh, in our discussion of revenge movies? Because that scene really, you know, I mean, yeah. has a lot of weight to it as far yeah. as the discussion of revenge. I don't remember if we did. Because you know what we didn't mention last or two weeks ago on the great movie beginnings or openings. Yeah. We didn't talk about Sexy Beast, which I realized like yeah. that night. I was like, how did I leave that off the list? Yeah. We also didn't talk about Rage of the Lost Ark. Oh, right. But, but yeah, Sexy Beast, because that's not an image I can get out of my head. How about you? Uh, yeah. Um, and just the, the, narr- the, oh, the yeah. narration, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm baking it. <laughs> Sweltering. Sweltering. <laughs> <laughs> um,. All right, well, I'm going to uh, change gears here, Dan, Okay. Uh, because as I, as I look at my list, I realize just how many of these scenes are kind of scary. That's, I realize a lot of mine are really violent. Really? Okay. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so, like, of course, here I've got the scene, you know, the chest-bursting scene from Alien, which oh, sure. even if you are expecting it, it's really, like... It's really bloody. Like, it's really, yeah. like, memorable. Especially it's, if you're Veronica Cartwright. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And you didn't know you are going to get sprayed with, a ga- sprayed with a gallon of blood. Um, uh, another one that I have here is uh, Jurassic Park. The scene with the... Well, there's a lot of memorable scenes in that. Sure. The scene with the raptors in the kitchen. Ugh. That one has me on the edge of my seat all the time. Uh-huh. Forever. Um, but... I found myself among so these scenes they're they're frightening to me, but the one that scares me the most I read I think it was on the Onion uh, they're they're discussing like really scary like things that frightened you when you were a child. Uh-huh. The the metamorphosis of Lampwick in Pinocchio oh is horrifying yeah horrifying I yeah, mean just, yeah definitely I just I just bought the DVD and I was watching it the other day and I'm like. This is still freaky. Like, it, it may not be as scary, still freaky. This uh-huh. is a small child. I haven't and then, seen it in a long time. Yeah. Still, because then you just see all these other d- donkeys in children's clothing talking and saying they want to go home. It's, oh, it's horrifying. <laughs> and it's just, and maybe maybe I wouldn't find it as horrifying if I hadn't grown up with that sense of dread. Yeah. But, like, just the way it's played and then just, and you hear him just screeching for his mom. And you're like, this is th- like, you know, Jen and I, we've been someday we're going to have children. We don't know when, but we want to have all these Disney movies. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, I don't know if I want to show my kid that. I mean, it's it's <laughs> really disturbing, but, you know, I guess I turned out OK. But um, yes. Yeah, we'll see. Um, but as far as but another another really uh, frightening uh, moment. And you you have not seen Freaks. Have you? I never saw it, no. I I'll have to lend it to you. Um, I, well, I can't because I'm watching all this TV. Yeah, exactly. Right, yes. Catch, i got to catch up on damages and in treatment. Is damages good? Performances are good. Okay. The, the show... I believe it. The There's like three dream sequences every episode. It's Ugh. like, can't you like rely on subtext to like say what's going on in your character's head and not like some freaky dream? Or just, you know, I mean, often you can just, you've got good enough actors and actresses, you can just trust their face to really uh, show you. But, uh, yeah, but there's, the, there's the, the best guy, <coughs> sorry, tangent here. Yeah. But uh, 
Now I I've never known how to say the guy's name. But okay. The 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 uh, the governor from Oz. Uh, oh, Zelko Ivanek or something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you say so. Yeah. But uh, he's on damages, and he has a thick Southern accent. Of course he does. Is he a creepy character, or is he a good guy? He's not a good guy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would. The answer uh, to is he a creepy character is yes, simply by virtue of the fact that he's being played by that actor. Um, that guy could play Atticus Finch, and you're like, what's this guy doing? What's this guy? Yeah. Is he, I'm trying to think like who he's played that's been likable. I mean, certainly he, not the governor. He plays a character not in the, a civil action, a supporting character that is mildly positive. Yeah. But even... 24, I mean, he was on 24. Not a likable guy. No, no, no. Not a likable guy on his one episode of Lost. Uh, no. Juliet's ex-husband. Okay, not likable but sympathetic on John Adams. Uh, yes. He was great. Eventually sympathetic. Yeah. You're not with him, and then after a while you're like, you know what, this guy's not too bad. That was a great... I'm a big fan of him, and that was that's at the top of the list of his performances. He was Absolutely. really good on that. Um, okay, well, get, getting back to Freaks... Uh, there is a scene that is, it, it will stay with you. There's a lot of scenes that will stay with you. Um, but this is one that people have probably heard reference to where, um, this woman, the, the back, the, the background is this, this woman who is, uh, this, uh, gorgeous, I believe she's a trapeze artist or something. And she, uh, uh, uh this midget falls in love with her and he's very rich and she realizes, oh, if I marry him and kill him. Then, uh, you know, I'll have a bunch of money. Uh-huh. And so, but she needs to be accepted into the family of freaks. And so there's a day, there, there's a, a moment when they're all sitting around a table. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, they decide that, uh, that they're going to welcome her in. And they basically, they all of them say, Google, gobble, Google, gobble, we accept her one of us. Uh-huh. All of them are saying this. Yeah. In just over and over, and they're just and it's really you know I the, the, those characters are sympathetic, and she is not sympathetic. But when she runs out of that room screaming, you're kind of like you know because the camera is, puts you in her mindset, not uh-huh. theirs, and it is just in general it's it's a very disturbing scene and very memorable. Once you, I've seen Freaks once. In my life, yeah, it was about it was about nine years ago, and I bought it because I guess I'll watch it again someday. And it's one of my favorite movies ever. But it is that scene, that whole movie, but that scene really—it's it's probably one of the most memorable scenes I've ever seen in my life. It's funny because uh, I'm looking at my list now when you talk about that because that's—I uh, mean that's it's a little out of this world and a little <laughs> like on paper kind of silly. Oh yeah, and um, I'm looking at my list. And I'm realizing I have a lot of. A lot of these scenes actually are very disturbing scenes, but that have some weird outlandish element to them that makes them funny, but not in a way that you would laugh at because they're so disturbing. Like, yeah. uh, I'll start with uh, um, Annie Wilkes breaking uh, James Conn's feet oh. in in misery. Misery is like it's what I just described extended for an hour and a half. Yeah, because Annie Wilkes is funny. If she were, if you plugged this character into a comedy, you'd be like. You would laugh at her. Yeah. She's so silly, but she's doing. She, she's really dangerous, and it makes it what it makes the way that she behaves even more disturbing. And that comes to right. a head in that part where she smashes his ankles, and she does it 
without any malice, really. Yeah. Almost like a But with mother- a mallet. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. In case you didn't hear David over me speaking, I said malice, and he said, but with mallet. <laughs> Give you a moment for uh, for that. Yeah, dry your eyes. Yeah. And welcome back. Here we go. Um, yeah, I... Uh, I'm trying to th- I'm trying well, to look at my because we've got so I, I've got many here. more in that vein to name. Okay, go ahead. So then. let's um, let's stick with that. Now, when we did the best beginnings uh, or great our favorite beginnings of movies, we talked about Blue Velvet, but uh, um, I want to talk about Blue, Blue Velvet again. And it's okay. the the part with the oxygen mask and and that if you haven't seen it, then you don't know what I'm talking about. But go see it. I don't want to yeah. give it away, and I don't necessarily want to say those things out loud. Paul, <laughs> yeah, but um. It's a very disturbing scene, and he's, be- he's behaving like he's been. He's he's such a threatening character. Yeah, that and you see him behaving in this like I, I don't know. It's not a macho way. It's just weird. Yeah, you know, and it 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 manages to undercut and enforce his threateningness at the same time. Yeah. Uh and then, uh, so yeah, that's, I should have ended with that one because that's the best example actually of what I'm talking about. But I also want to talk about the, uh, the, the scene with, uh, Christian Bale and Jared Leto in American Psycho when oh, he's yeah. talking about Huey Lewis. Yeah. It is odd that you've got all these, <laughs> you really like dark, incredibly violent, uh, and strangely funny scenes. Yeah. And that's, American Psycho leans a little bit more towards the funny side than oh, certainly yeah. Blue Velvet. Yeah. But it is disturbing, yeah. you know, when he's he puts on the raincoat while he's talking about Huey Lewis. Yeah. He's like, "Is that a raincoat?" Yes, it is. Uh-huh. And then, and then, uh, and then uh, he's been just like rambling in this uh, hilarious he do a little and, dance. Yeah, well, yeah, he sort of like slides a little bit on the hardwood floor, uh, yeah. I think. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does a little dance, and then. So he's been. It's it's just very like you're fixated on this weird monologue that he's giving, and it's like, oh, this is all very funny. And then all of a sudden, he's splitting Jared Leto's head open with an axe yeah. and screaming, "Try getting a reservation at Dorsey and now, you fuck!" Well, and I believe that <laughs> he's saying his monologue, and then with the same amount of energy and positivity, he goes, "Hey, Paul!" Yeah, and boom, he gets him. Yeah, um, yeah, that's really that's an amazing. What scene. is wrong with you, David? I gotta. I'm gonna watch that tonight. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a minute. Um. Yeah, I uh let's see. As far as uh creepy stuff. <laughs> um well, uh there the scene in Night of the Hunter uh where Robert Mitchum uh explains the tattoos on his hand. Uh-huh. And it's just such a weird little monologue and uh because it's because it, he, it, it's not he he explains it a little bit and then he just has his hands fight. He just he interlocks his fingers that have love and hate tattooed on them, and he goes, "Oh, oh, oh loves a winning," you know. And he's like giving a blow. <laughs> it's not really a monologue. I remember once uh, back in high school, I was looking at monologue books, and that monologue was in there. I'm like, that's not really that great of a monologue, uh-huh. strictly speaking, but it makes for a great moment because he's just like he's he's like hot dog, you know, and uh, and uh, you know, hate is down for the count, you know. He's, say, he's saying all this. Um, and just and the fact that like the the other characters view his view his character as as a good guy, 
like a pastor or a preacher who is saying that like, and they're like, Oh, I've never heard it quite put that way. Of course you haven't. Cause it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, but that he's just, that he uses this weird, bizarre moment to kind of ingratiate himself to these people. Uh-huh. Um, and then you realize just how insane he is and how horrible, how awful a person he is. It's really, it's, I think, I think Robert Mitchum is, is a pretty under, uh, underestimated, uh, actor. Um, or underrated, I guess, um, and uh, that he, he's uh, he's good in a lot of things, but I think his performance in Night of the Hunter is astounding. It, it it at times is animalistic, and at other times it's cold and calculating. Except there was his performance in Other People's Money. He's not in that. No, no, that's Greg, Gregory Peck. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. I've seen Other People's Money once. Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, I just remember that someone. Old was in it, and I took a stab in the dark. Someone old. <laughs> what the hell is the matter with you? He was old when he made that. Gregory Peck was old when he made that movie. That's true. He was. <laughs> what the fuck? Do all old people look alike to you, David? <laughs> well, what I meant is uh, a famous actor who was famous when he was younger and was older when he made other people's money. Okay. You could just say, I got my Cape, my Cape Fear actors mixed up. Yeah, just like I get the Cape Fear dates mixed up. Yeah, that's weird. I got a weird um, Cape Fear blind spot. But uh, uh, anyway, <coughs> but I will say that as far as uh, a good monologue is concerned, and of course delivered impeccably, uh, I'm going to be probably mentioning Jaws uh, every episode uh, for the you know la- the last couple weeks and uh, and these next two. Um, Quint's monologue in Jaws is quite possibly my favorite. Uh, my favorite movie moment ever. I love his performance. I love the way it's written. And it's just, you know, because the character is basically just stating his motivation for killing sharks. Like, just saying it out loud. Like, but going into so much detail and just the turns of phrase reveal so much about the character. And that he has grown, he's grown used to saying this story. But the weight of it has never gone away for him. It's really, it's it's really a great moment. That that and the the monologue about the girl and the fairy uh, on the ferry and Citizen Kane are two wonderful monologues yeah, in my view, and and great uh, and just really great movie moments. <laughs> there you go. See, <laughs> that's for you. Um, would you say memorable movie moments? I would say mostly memorable movie moments, man. I'm not going to say that, David. <laughs> um, well, let's... Uh, oh, God. Let's uh, let's change course here, because you're talking about dial- or monologues. Yeah. And I actually want to talk about uh, two sequences that are, are, are wordless. Wordless, okay. Uh, and these were the first two sequences that came to my mind when we when you, when you when you brought this this topic up. Okay. And that's the... Uh, the, the, <coughs> the heist in Rafifi. Oh, yeah. Okay. Which, is, which I uh, haven't seen. Oh, really? Yeah. Not only is it wordless, it's almost completely silent. And it's like 20 minutes long. Yeah, the 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 heist in uh, the Red Circle is almost exactly oh, right. the same. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's a, that's a great one. And I guess from a technical standpoint, it's, uh, it's sort of like... Let me once again bring up the fact that I didn't like Atonement. Okay. Uh, because there's that... The Dunkirk sequence. The Dunkirk shot, really. Right. Um, and... It just feels like the whole time that shot is going on in Atonement, it's saying, isn't this cool? 
It's still the same shot. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt with some of the shots in uh, Children of Men, but at least that, at least those have a se- the sense of urgency. I think to w- them. with Children of Men, I don't think, at least for me, it, I didn't realize. It wasn't until later that I went like, oh yeah, that was a whole shot because I was into the movie. It was used in service of something. Yeah, I in atonement it was not. Yeah, I felt that way a little bit about Children of Men. I, I don't, I, I don't think that anymore especially compared to atonement because atonement it's almost like it's almost like it's there's just this big painting uh-huh. and it's just taking you th- and it happens to be three-dimensional and it's just taking you through it and it's like okay yeah that's that's really uh it it, it kind of exists for its own sake i think yeah but um <laughs> really well done but uh yeah well that's what i'm gonna talk about what i'm talking about with, with rafifi it's from a like a technical movie making standpoint it's quite an achievement to mm-hmm. have this uh, 20 plus minute uh <coughs> wordless yeah uh sequence it's just about process mostly of yeah. the process of breaking in and like picking locks or like drilling a hole in the floor and sneaking through from it's just, it's about what they do step by step but it's also you all you know a little bit about the characters and you're sort of seeing their interactions and the way that it's it's the process has reflected off these different individuals right you know and and you see the way they react but there's and and, and even interact but without ever speaking to one another and and so that's it's it's the opposite even though i mean it's not all one shot but it's it's a technically uh, impressive sequence that is uh, meaningful beyond the fact that it's just technically impressive. Right, and I think it's also absolutely appropriate o- appropriate for the genre in which it's working. Like, I feel like most most heist movies uh, these days, um, it's all about, like, smart characters saying clever dialogue, uh-huh. even perhaps during the heist itself. And, you know... Uh, Whereas, like, just pure silence and just seeing these characters that we previously have, you know, heard speak and, and we know about them and just they're not talking because they're professionals and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Uh-huh. Um, there's suspense in that. There's suspense in silence, you yeah. know. And and it's something that I feel like modern um, modern heist movies don't really seem to understand. That's like yeah, these characters probably wouldn't be talking. and I don't care how clever they are or how witty their remark is. Like, they've got stuff to do. And it's actually one of the things that I like about the movie The Score is that De Niro, when he's alone, he's not saying anything, even though he has somebody to talk to over the, uh-huh. over the you know, microphone. But, like, it's just... It, I felt like when he's, when he's breaking into the safe, it's pretty quiet and it's pretty methodical. And it's actually kind of—I felt like it was kind of a throwback to those those early uh, those yeah. early heist movies. Yeah, I kind of like the score. I haven't seen it since the theater, but yeah. Um, the the other one that I want the other sequence I wanted to talk about, uh, and this is the one that's at the very top of my list, <coughs> uh, because not only would our podcast not be named what it is without this, oh, yeah. uh, cinema as we know it would not be the same without this sequence or this film. Yeah, and it's the Odessa Step sequence in Battleship Potemkin. Uh, I, uh, right. Uh, it's an obvious choice, but I couldn't do this episode without bringing it up. Right. I mean, it's it's just such a it's just such a it, it's it's weird how a, a a sequence can be so precise and yet seem so messy. Uh huh. Like it really does seem like absolute chaos and and everything's in disarray and everybody's running around. But of course, it's cut 
so precisely, uh-huh. and the and the more precisely it's cut, the more you feel out of control. Yeah, as a as a as a viewer, it really yeah. I mean, there's a reason. You know, as we've said before, there's a reason that the you know these movies that are considered the best or these moments that are considered the best. There's a reason they are, and it's because yeah. they are. You know, yeah. Um, and it might, it might. I mean, the thing with Battleship Potemkin, I'm sure people who listen to this podcast are savvy enough to to appreciate it. But mm-hmm. if you just took uh, a guy who likes movies but isn't, yeah, you know, a guy who goes to the movies a lot but isn't a film nerd, and and showed him the Odessa step, step sequence, it might not have the same the same impact, right? Because you don't you've seen because you've seen things like it since then, yeah. And you've seen that the Untouchables for one, at least, but just uh, that sort of. Uh, Choreography, both actual physical choreography of what's going on on the steps and the sort of choreography that's done in the editing room, you know, uh, you have you kind of have to put yourself in the mind mindset of the time right. and what had come before, and more importantly, what hadn't come before, right? Uh, to really appreciate the Odessa step sequence in 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 an academic sense, well, but that, uh, but on its okay. own, it's still a very Tense. Oh yeah. Uh, sequence. Yeah. I mean, it's you know, I'd say most the most of the really great movies are films that like, yeah, they academically they're really important, but they're just great in general. I mean, you know, like as the Odessa step the Odessa step sequence has power beyond manipulation of the film, you know, or anything mm-hmm. like that. It has Im- incredible emotional power. Yeah. Um, and I would say, actually, uh, as far as, like, silent, not silent movies, but, like, virtually wordless sequences um, that are kind of a combination of what we've been talking about with uh, Potemkin and, um, like, Rafifi and stuff, um, the shower sequence in Psycho, uh-huh. um, you know, it starts with a, a nice, long, drawn-out shot of Janet Lee showering, and you see somebody enter, and slowly walk towards the shower, and you're like, oh, this is awful. And then it starts quick cutting, you know, uh-huh. to, and of course, each cut is supposed to imply an actual stab. And then stabbing is over, and then it's back into the long shot again. Yeah. You know, zooming out of her being dead. And it's really, it, it's, you know, from an editing standpoint, it's masterful, but also just, you know, the placement in the film, it just has so much power because this is our heroine Uh and she just freaking died, you know, like what? And, and as you're zooming out, you know, um, and then you hear, you know, uh, you know, Norman Bates say mother blood, you know, all that. Um, you're kind of left to think like, well, what now? Like, yeah, the person I've been following is now dead. What the hell am I doing now? You know, and so like that whole sequence um, is just so, you know, it's so technically brilliant. But of course, within the story, um, it's such a masterstroke. But uh, but actually bringing up uh, actual silent films from the silent era, um, you know, uh, Chaplin had a million of these things like he had, you know, he had him going through the gears in um, what was that? Which one was that? Was that That's modern, in times? modern times? Modern times. Um, you know, he's got him eating the shoe and the gold rush. Like he's he had a lot of them. Harold Lloyd had you know one of the most memorable sequences ever. People know this sequence even if they don't know who the guy hanging off the clock is. Right. Which is Harold Lloyd. You know, 
just hanging from a very tall building off the face of a clock. Um, and then there's and then Sherlock Jr. really is just a collection of brilliant scenes um, that are very memorable. And that's Buster Keaton, by the way, in case you don't know. Um, in case I then, don't know? What? In case I don't know? Well, I know you know, but in case you, the listener, doesn't know. Yeah. We did an episode on, on Buster Keaton. I know yeah. you know. Um, and then, of course, the, uh, the shot of uh, the moon, the face of the moon with a rocket ship in it in a trip to the moon uh, is delightful. Yeah. And uh, it's perhaps the most memorable part of that film. Although... Uh, the moon men who basically evaporate when they're shot at. I kind of like that too. Yeah. Um, um, we should like wrap up. Soon. Yeah. Um, I didn't, there's a, I just wanted to mention there's a great, a bunch of great moments in like water for chocolate. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, I think that the style, the, uh, <coughs> magical realism style, yeah. you know, lends itself to great moments because that's what it's about. It's a, it's a realistic movie. And then all of a sudden, uh, something magical is happening yeah so like like water for chocolate is just a one example of magical realism it's probably the best example in cinema i think of magical realism mm. um maybe you know not in uh literature but uh uh and then I, the other one the movie that i i feel is uh not, not up there with the odessa step sequence but something that we couldn't do an episode on great scenes like especially great middles of movies uh without mentioning is the uh the bank robbery and heat Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because when you think about it, I mean that is that is the crux of the movie. It comes more or less at the halfway point. Well, I'd I'd say there because I have heat written here as well, but for a different part, which is the the coffee shop scene. Well, that's like great one because it's the, those two actors. Yeah. But I don't know. Is it really that great a scene? Mm-hmm. I'm not a huge Heat fan. I I'm not a huge Heat, but like that is. But the thing is, like in talking about great, I'm sorry memorable moments uh-huh. that moment is memorable because it's those ac- i mean it's right. it's I those actors playing those characters who are against each other saying that dialogue yeah. in the situation they're in and it wouldn't be as memorable if it weren't those actors but as it turns out it is so yeah. for that reason it's but, a big deal but the crux of the movie is the bank oh yeah the the bank robbery it's i mean heat is usually when if you go to a, a video store for those of you who still do that mm-hmm. um it's found in the action adventure section often yeah and it's. Uh, I think it's because it's known for that. It's the only actiony sequence. The only people. It's the only sequence of people really running and shooting. It, yeah. In the, in the movie, I mean, there's some gunplay elsewhere in the movie. Yeah, but that's more suspense thriller than. Yeah, than anything but else. that's. It's a great action sequence. Yeah. And the movie just rests on it. It's it's the uh, it's it's the fulcrum. Yeah. That the balances the other two ends of the movie. <coughs> To the point that, like, any movie since then that has had, like, a bank heist, uh-huh. people will always compare it to Heat. I mean, that's what, when The, the Dark, Dark Knight, Knight came yeah. out, that's what everybody said. But even Chris, Chris Nolan said that he right. watched Heat in Yeah, because it's the perfect way to do it. Yeah. You know, um, that or uh, Quick Change, because um, <laughs> I love Quick Change. Um, so let's see. Uh, I'll bring up a few just real quick. Of course, the I'm Mad as Hell sequence in Network is uh, brilliant. Um, I'm a big fan of the, uh, I guess it's a monologue, but it's technically dialogue because the character is reacting to something he's hearing on the phone, which is the president in Dr. Strangelove talking to the, <laughs> to the Russian premier who's drunk and who's acting like a child. And he uh-huh. is, the way he's responding is absolutely, it's just, it is the best bit of acting Peter Sellers has ever done in my view. 
Okay. Um, so let's see. Apart from that, I imagine we'll talk about Doctor Strange a little more on the next episode. Yes, we will. Um, there's. I feel bad that we never. So much of what we talked about was. I don't know. Very sort of in your face, and I don't know. You had some good stuff earlier with the Twelve Angry Men and mm-hmm. stuff, but I, I feel like I talked about either technical achievements or things that had big, dramatic, yeah, movement. You know, like action or or something. But uh, like we didn't talk enough about like I wanted to talk about the the big argument in in the bedroom between uh, Tom Wilkinson and Sissy yeah, Spacek. It's on my list. Yeah, that's in the part. It's funny that that part was in the trailer when when he's like, you know, because I let him get away with everything and she cuts him off, you know? Uh, and so that sometimes when a part, you see something over and over again in a trailer like that, it, it, it dulls its effect in the actual movie, but not so with that. That's no, it's that's that even though it's just, it's just two people talking about what they feel and not saying everything they feel, but just, it's just so honest. There's no, there's no raincoat and axe in the right, in the scene. Right. There's no tattooed knuckles. You know, yeah. it's uh, of all the things we've talked about today, it's probably the most honest human scene uh, on the list. And, yeah, and it's and, but it's just as as memorable and just as gut punching as anything in other you know, these other movies we've talked about. And what's especially strange is that is not an unviolent movie. I mean, there right. are there are moments of gunshots and stuff, but that's the scene you remember. I mean, that, yeah. and no, there, there's no reason you shouldn't remember it. That's, yeah. I mean, that is the most explosive in a film with actual people being shot. That is the most explosive scene, yeah. Because it, ju- because just the, you know, the emotions have just been boiling, and then they finally just it, it, everything just explodes. Um, but actually, okay, so since all right, since you mentioned that, I'll mention like several movies really quick. That are a little more kind of subtle, I would say. Uh-huh. Um, one is uh, Ian Holmes' monologue in The Sweet Hereafter about his daughter. Oh, how did I not think of that? It's, I uh, love that movie. Yeah. it's the, so If you haven't seen Sweet Hereafter, it's a wonderful film and you should absolutely absolutely see it. But, like, there's a scene where he is talking about um, something, you know, his do- an old story of when his daughter was very young and, and she... Uh, was bitten by, uh, you know, uh, several black widows, and so he had to take her to the hospital. And just that, you know, paired with, like, the relationship he has to his daughter now, it is devastating, it's, and it's absolutely amazing. I will now move on. Um, there is a scene in uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp in which uh, Anton Walbrook is talking about he's basically a German during World War II who does not want to live in Germany, and so... But, of course, the... Uh, the British are a little suspect of anybody of any German coming to live in their country, as I would say is kind of uh, understandable. Um, and he basically delivers this monologue during an interview in which he talks about why he does not want to live in Germany. And he talks about and the, the most heartbreaking moment of that scene is him mentioning talking about how his sons are good little Nazis, but he's not. And so it just just the contempt in which he yeah. feels for them. But of course, the love is you know it's a, it's a wonderful monologue and just a really great uh, a great scene um there's a scene in Miller's Crossing <clears throat> where this one I'd say is closer to what we've been talking about uh where uh, a crime boss is uh attacked in his home 
Oh yeah, and uh, and it's based. I was wondering which moment from Emilio right, Strauss right. you to talk about. Um, and it's John large. Polito teaching him. I always tell my boys, put one in the head. Yeah, uh, which is a great scene. Or is it going to be John Turturro crying in the woods? Or oh, is it shoot, be, that's a good one too. Or is it going to be Mike Starr singing in the woods, which is also one of my favorite scenes in that movie? Both good. Um, but no, this one it's just it's such a brilliant moment because uh, it's wordless and Danny Boy is playing over, and of course it's the Coens, so every shot is impeccable. Yeah. Um, but what I like is that it's this mobster who he looks like he is absolutely going to go down because he's his protection has been killed. These these mobsters are you know these hitmen are going up to his room. He's just sitting in his bed smoking a cigar. And then he instantly just, uh, you know, jumps into action uh-huh. and just wipes. The, and you realize, like, oh, right, yes, okay, he's he got to where he is because he's a brutal killer <laughs> who will not hesitate. And it has what, to me, is one of the most devastating gunshot scenes ever, which is a character gets shot in the foot, and then he falls, and the top of his head is exposed, and then he gets mm-hmm. shot in the top of his head. Yeah. I don't know why, but the vulnerability of being shot in the top of your head really gets to me. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Lastly, I will say... Uh, is this lastly? Yes. Lastly, I will say the uh, uh, the scene on the train uh, in Unfaithful where Diane Lane is coming back from her first affair, and she is remembering the details of it. She is both... I'm sure I've mentioned this before because it's one of my favorite scenes ever. She's both laughing because of how exciting it is to be involved in this because she leaves a, leads a fairly boring life. Um, she's laughing and then crying because, oh, right, yes, I'm having an affair and I probably shouldn't be doing that. Um, and it's just – and the way that she just – and you just absolutely feel the struggle of those two emotions – and it, it makes for that to me is the most memorable scene in the film, and I think that's the one that got her uh, an Oscar nomination. Yeah. What do you um, think is Adrian Lyon's best film? Unfaithful or Jacob's Ladder? You don't get to choose anything else. I'm going to have to say Unfaithful because I haven't seen Jacob's Ladder. Oh, okay. I, I would say Unfaithful too. Okay. What do you think is his worst film? Nine and a Half Weeks or Flashdance? I'm going to say Flashdance. I haven't seen either one. Two way tie for last. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> I'm giving you answers. Yeah, not, that's it's not your opinion. There are answers. It's fine. I like questions. it. I like that you're just throwing <laughs> things at me. And I just got to pick one, and especially because I haven't seen them, it's just like, hey, choose between these words. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, oh shoot. Okay, Mrs. Robinson scene in uh, The Graduate. So, oh, what about the? Uh, I got one word. Plastics. That's, that's pretty good too. That's the best moment in the freaking graduate. underwater uh, in the pool with the yeah. scuba. Di- that that movie's got a D- lot of good. Plastics too. is even more memorable to me than the you're trying to seduce me. <laughs> That's it's pretty good. It's a good little moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, all right. Well, you know, we've missed out on on several. I mean, I haven't even gotten all the, to the, all the ones on my list. But we have I mean, another we, episode to we record. We talked about long shots. I didn't even talk about the middle of funny games. Ah, oh, you're right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh. So, but we talk about funny games enough on this show. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and I'm sure I could have mentioned Jaws again. Um, <laughs> but the uh, okay, so. That's this episode. Of course, I'm sure we missed some that you guys are uh, angry about or something. <laughs> so just uh, talk about that on the forum. Um, and then our next episode, episode 109, uh, are we going to put that up on the same day or maybe wait a couple of days? Uh, maybe wait a couple of days. Okay, so... But it'll um, be up, yeah, like Tuesday-ish. Yeah, so look for episode 109 in a couple of days. 
if you're subscribed, which would be great, yeah, you don't have to worry. It'll just show up. It'll just show up. All right, so, so go ahead and subscribe. It doesn't cost you anything. It doesn't cost you anything. It also doesn't cost you anything to write us good reviews on iTunes. It doesn't cost you a penny. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything to donate. Oh. <laughs> Shut up, David. <laughs> um, all right, so thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.